in the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts, be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I think I must have been about 19 or 20, and um, someone mentioned, I don't remember if it was uh, my mother or friend, somebody said, uh, you know, I think you probably should go get your eyes checked. Uh, you know, uh, you're not seeing so well. And I thought, I can see just fine. There's nothing wrong with my eyes, you know. But, uh, but I went ahead and went. And uh, I remember the eye doctor, you know, he's, he's checking me out and doing, doing his thing, you know, better here or here, you know, that whole thing. And, uh, and then after a bit, he says to me, uh, how'd you get here today? I said, well, I drove, of course. I was, you know, I mean, he said, you drove here. <laughs> yes. He said, well, would you do me a favor and let me know when you're going to be out on the road between now and when your glasses arrive because I don't want to be out there at the same time. You shouldn't be driving anywhere. You, you can't see. Um, and so I guess I figured that maybe he was right. You know, maybe I did need glasses. And so, you know, I, I went out and picked out some frames, you know how you do, and and this was, uh, it maybe it took a few days for the glasses to arrive. And, and so he calls me back. I go back. I, I try on the glasses. And it seemed like when I walked out of that office that day, it's like somebody had put Windex on the whole world, you know? I suddenly could see. One of my sons said to me not too long ago, he got new glasses. And he said, Dad, it's like the whole world's in HD. You know, I can, I can suddenly see things again. You know, I remember driving home thinking, wow, that's... Speed limit sign says 35. I always thought it was 85, you know? I didn't know what was... But, you know, you can see suddenly. And, uh, you, you know, when you, when you suddenly begin to see and you hadn't for a while, it's, it's all of a sudden like you begin to notice things that you had missed. I imagine it's probably the same with hearing. If, if you were, were sort of hard of hearing and, you know, it kind of gradually had, had gone away and then, and then you got a hearing aid and suddenly you could, you could hear again. You know, you might listen to a CD of Beethoven or Bach with the white stripes. You know, you might listen to something and, and, and it would be suddenly like you could hear again. I, I wonder if, if maybe you, you lost a sense of taste to what it would be like. You know, you... You probably would begin to believe that broccoli was okay, you know, or, or tofu or peas. You'd probably eat stuff like that. But, you know, if your taste buds came back, you know, imagine eating a steak, you know, all again for the first time. You know, you, you, or if you're a vegetarian, you know, it would be a corn night. I don't know. But you would be suddenly alive. You could taste again. There's something about restoring, I think, a sense that sort of, well, it helps you to appreciate it in a way perhaps... He never had. I, I, I think that there are probably, and I know there are, there are people who are, you know, who, who struggle just to get a little bit back. You know, maybe their their eyesight can't even be re- repaired, or, or their hearing is, it, it, you know, even only helped a little bit by hearing aids. And, and I could I could really appreciate what kind of struggle that must have been must be like. But I think for most of us, go to the doctor, get some new lenses, you walk out. Like someone has windexed the world, you can see suddenly almost 2020. John the Baptist in the gospel lesson is in jail. Um, he's in jail because he's had the audacity to speak against the king and the king's immoral lifestyle. He um, he actually has uh, has spoken against him publicly so many times that uh, that the the king's um, uh, wife wants John the Baptist murdered. I was one time in London, in, in Hyde Park. And if you've ever been there, you know, you, I was with a guy who was a Londoner. And he says to me, as we were going through, he says, right over there, that's called Speaker's Corner. 
perhaps you've seen it or heard of it, Speaker's Corner in Hyde Park, you can go there and, and, and make speeches about anything you want. Politics, religion, it doesn't matter. You can, you can say anything you want about any particular subject and you can take any position and you're allowed to do that right there. Except for one thing. You're not allowed to speak against the royal family. If you do that, well, you know, you'll be arrested and, or removed or whatever. Freedom of speech in the ancient world uh, wasn't, uh, wasn't really a, a, a value that the people had. And I don't even know that it still is today. You want to speak against the president? All right. Congress? Okay. Parliament? Sure. But not against the king. I mean, the king, you don't speak against the king, right? And, and this is what John the Baptist has found out. Speaking against the king will land you in prison. And so while he's in prison, I'm guessing his friends were probably those who, close to him, that they brought him food. You know, they, they, they brought him food and, and they also brought him news from the outside. Here's what's going on. Um, this is what's happening and, and so on and so forth. You know, it's, it's kind of like if, if you had a, a visual impairment and you went to a play with your spouse. So imagine that. Imagine you couldn't see very well and, and you go to a play with your spouse and, and the actors are performing and you're watching and, and suddenly somebody comes out with, um, I don't know, with glasses and the, and the big nose and the Groucho Marx kind of mustache. You know what I'm talking about? You know, the, the, the funny disguise. And the crowd starts to laugh and, and your spouse who couldn't see very well would lean over and say, well, what's, what's going on? And, and you'd say, well... The, this guy just came out with a silly-looking disguise on. You know, he's got the he's got the Groucho Marx glasses and the, the little mustache, and, and just a description might might make them. Oh, okay, I see. This is what John the Baptist is doing. What's going on in the outside? What's it like out there? What, what's happening? Particularly, what is Jesus up to? What's Jesus doing? Now you got to imagine John the Baptist. He's he's still got that massive beard, you know. He, he's now in prison, and, and there's you know he's got this big. But maybe the look in his eye, maybe it's not quite as wild-eyed as it was the last time we saw him when he's out preaching by the River Jordan, wearing the camel coat, and and you know, and he's got the little bug legs between his teeth. Maybe he still has a, a little love for honey, but probably he's moved on. He's probably not eating insects any longer. Cheese sandwiches, sweet tea, you know, that sort of thing. You know, very simple meal. But here he is in prison, and he's asking his friends, what's Jesus doing? This one that I proclaimed is the coming Messiah. What's he up to? Particularly, have you seen any fire coming down from heaven? Any judgment action going on? I mean, are we seeing any sort of sign that, uh, you know, that, that God is at work pounding down on the man, as it were. Where is, where is the sort of judgment guy? And perhaps you remember, you remember the sermon he preached. Repent, repent, couldn't get that one out. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You remember that, don't you? Yeah, you remember, yeah, just nod. Yeah, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he kind of ends that sermon like this. He's coming, and his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will... Uh, clear the threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff will be burned with unquenchable fire. Fire! Judgment! God coming! This is, this is scary times. Get ready! You don't want to be part of the chaff. You want to be part of the wheat. Now, a winnowing fork is like a pitchfork. In the ancient world, they used to you know, gather together all the, all the wheat into a big, a big heap and and then they would clear out a space. It's called the threshing floor. They would, you know, wait for a time where it's kind of windy. 
And they would go out there and they would throw the, the, the straw up in the air, take this little winnowing fork, this pitchfork, stab it into the, the bale of hay, throw it up into the air. The heavy, the heavy grains of wheat would fall to the ground. And the wind would blow the, the, the straw, the chaff, away. So it would kind of separate the wheat from the chaff. This is what John the Baptist is looking for. Where's that Messiah who's going to come with fire, with a winnowing fork, with judgment, sheep, goats, wheat, chaff, all this sort of separation work? Is he doing this sort of thing? The passage that Sarah read just a moment ago says this, Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ... He actually asked these questions. What's Jesus doing? And his friends, I'm I'm sure, reported back. Well, you know, John, it's kind of like this. Um, This Jesus, he's gathered together a group of men, and they're traveling with him. Uh, What kind of men are they? Well, one of them's a Sakari. Sakari is like a terrorist uh, in the ancient world. They were known to carry knives up in their, their uh, sleeves. They would walk into crowds. If there were a Roman soldier there, they would stab them, pull them back in, their, their, their knife back in, and, and kind of disappear into the crowd. They were guerrilla-type war, uh, warriors. One of them is listed among the disciples of Jesus, Simon the Zealot. He's got an assassin among his group. Um... There's also this tax collector guy named Levi, also called Matthew, who writes the gospel. Um, Not a very well-liked fellow in the neighborhood. Uh, He tends to rip people off a lot and throws wild parties with them, all the wrong sort. And Jesus has brought him into his group too. In fact, he's got some sailors among his group. They seem to swear a lot. Uh, I don't know what kind of people he's actually putting around him. And... um, And guess what? They're not fasting a lot. I don't see a lot of fasting going on in the group of the Jesus disciples. Uh, He's going around with this group of men. They're not fasting. He is preaching, but even that's a bit esoteric. I mean, it's wheat and and farmers and seed and and trees and fruit. and, And I'm not really sure. Nobody seems to understand what he's doing. But there is this. He's doing some pretty amazing signs. He's He's healing people. He's, he's doing these miracles and, and he's gaining quite a following. And so John the Baptist sends his friends back and says this. You heard it, didn't you? Would you please go back and ask Jesus this question? Are you really the one? Or do we look for another? Why does he ask the question? You know why he asked the question. Because this is not the kind of Messiah he expected to come. Where's the one who comes with fire? Who comes with a pitchfork? Who comes with, with judgment and, and, uh, and division? Where's the one who shows up like this mighty warrior Messiah? And Jesus says to John, or at least he says to his friends, go back and just tell him this. Tell him that the blind see and the deaf hear and the lame can walk. Go tell him these things. And I think in John's mind, he immediately hears the Old Testament passage that was read today. You heard it, didn't you? Isaiah 35, the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstop, they shall, uh, the, the lame shall leap like a deer, the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. 
Eugene Peterson says there are 12-year-old boys in Jerusalem. Right now, in Jerusalem, you could go, and there's this rabbinical school where they take these young, young boys, and by the time they're 12 years old, you could say to them any three words in sequence from the Torah, from, from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Pick, just open up and pick three words and say to them in a row, Shema Yisrael Adonai. That's an easy one. They would finish off the sentence. But listen, not just would they finish off the sentence... But they could, from memory, recite to you the entire rest of the Torah. You could pick three words from the book of Exodus. They could tell you what verse you were in, and in, from memory, recite the entire rest of the Torah. I think this is an old rabbinic tradition. Submerge yourself in the text. So when Jesus says to John, Isaiah 35, I think suddenly maybe John hears for the first time what's going on. You see, in God's economy, mercy precedes judgment. In God's economy, mercy comes before judgment. And so I think even though it's very easy in a world that's drowning in ugliness, in selfishness, in blasphemy, to to sort of say... Hey, listen, Lord, where are you? Why are you putting up with this? And yet Jesus does exactly that, doesn't he? He starts with mercy. He starts with hanging out with all the wrong people in all the wrong places. Not bringing judgment, but bringing mercy. It's why I think when Jesus says the least in the kingdom of heaven will be greater than John the Baptist, I think precisely for this reason. Because the least one in the kingdom of God will be those who do the same work. The work of reconciling the world to God. Not just talking about judgment, but talking about mercy. So who are the bad guys in our world? I mean, who are the ones if we had a, you know, a little lightning bolt in our hand, wouldn't mind just... Uh, No, nobody. You say, of course. I know, not you. I mean, who would other people say, uh, you know, maybe someone in Washington. You know, they could probably use a lightning bolt or two, huh? Um, Or or maybe, maybe someone in Hollywood. We know how that movie industry is just racked with all kinds of bad stuff. What about criminals or con men? Terrorists? There are a lot of people out there that we could throw some judgment at, couldn't we? And with good reason. And with very good reason. And yet God somehow still has mercy. Even for these people. You see, Advent is about waiting. Isn't it? It's about waiting. About waiting for the coming of the Lord. But it's also about remembering that He has come. Not in judgment. But in mercy. And let me tell you something. For my sake... I'm really glad he did. I'm really glad that he came in mercy first. Aren't you?